Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. This is podcast number 43, I believe, hopefully, perhaps. We've been having a, a great amount of growth around here lately, and we appreciate all the support you give as an audience. Kingdom of the Logos is a Christian program, as stated before, but um, we are ministers in the Church of the Nazarene. And actually, we've been having district assembly lately, hence why we haven't been uploading as much content as we normally do. Today in our program, we're going to be talking about Alfie Evans, the tragedy of child loss, evil, and in our second segment, we're going to be talking about what it means to be the children of God. Again, due to district assembly, we haven't been posting a lot lately. We've had to, to be down dealing with some business sides of, of church life. But the most recent content that we have up in terms of video content is an episode of Clergy. And I just want to throw a pitch out there for this. If you have not seen Clergy yet, it's actually pretty good. And I'm not just saying that because we are the people who create this content. But it's essentially it's a miniseries that is done in the style of reality TV. Uh, particularly it's done in the style of Cops, the reality TV show Cops. Um, and the reenactments, reenactments that go on here are actual reenactments of real pastoral calls that me and Amanda get. So it's pretty hilarious and know that these things are real. A lot of times people watch reality TV, they see things like, different court programs and like I don't know if these cases are real they look at things like cops and they're not sure if it's real these are real life events that we are reenacting for you so you can appreciate all the hilarious calls we get as pastors anyways moving on to Alfie Evans for a more serious conversation I really want us to talk about this and I want us to be able to make a few distinctions and I realize that as we come to a situation where a child has passed there are people who are, are suffering from the tragedy of child loss. And, and I fully support those who have experienced such suffering. I, I know many who have lost a child, and my prayers are with you. And if anyone wants to, to talk to a pastor about situations like this, please reach out to us. Well, recently, Western civilization has been faced with the moral crisis surrounding the toddler, Alfie Evans, in the UK. Uh, just a quick up-to-date on this situation, Alfie was a toddler with a degenerative brain disease, and officials involved in the UK United Kingdom's socialized and universal health care system decided it would not be the route forward in continuing treatment for Alfie. The child would not be kept on life support and would essentially be left to starve to death. However, Alfie's parents wanted a different route than this, but the parents were not allowed authority to make decisions regarding the health care of their child. Moreover, the hospital was placed on lockdown and the UK government refused to allow the child to be taken out of the country for treatment. Both Italy and the Vatican offered to fly the child to their hospitals and put him on life support, but the UK government refused. After many days without life support or treatment, Alfie passed. Currently, it looks like the parents are filing suit against the health services in the UK, and we'll just have to wait and see where this goes. And I don't want to merely jump on the bandwagon of moral outrage in this situation. I know there are a lot of people who like to capitalize on the moral outrage. I really don't want to do that. But I do think this is a time where, as, as ministers, as Christians, we should come around and we should have a moral conversation about situations like this. This is a moment where Christians really should, should sit down and contemplate what it means to be children of God and what it means to be a, a people of life and how we deal with situations where there is a, a great crisis. And again, the child did have a life-threatening disease. But in order for us to have a conversation about this, I want us to make a few distinctions. This will keep us from just getting on the outrage bandwagon. So some of the distinctions I'd like for us to make is, one, this is an aspect, or this is a, an aspect of this case is the tragic passing of a child. 
that is always a, a horrific thing, and I can't imagine anything in this world being worse than losing a child. The other part of this that I want to talk about is the fact that we live in a world where Western governments, places which used to be on the forefront of freedom and liberty, now think that they have the right to arbitrate life and death, removing the family, people who love and care for another human being. They have the right to override the family's authority, even to the point of, of forcing a decision which will knowingly result in death against the will of the family. So let's deal with this first point, the passing of a child. As a pastor, I realize that there are those listening to this conversation who have experienced the horror of losing a child. I honestly cannot think of something more horrific on this earth than for parents to lose one of their precious children. In particular, I know a family who just recently lost their beautiful daughter. She was taken from them as a result of a, a very terrible illness. And it's, it's truly unfair for this to happen. I've got to the place in life where diseases make me angry, as if somebody is actually aggressing against you. And especially when diseases come, come for the children. I know there are a lot of debates and different theologies in the world, and and people have different understandings on who the devil is. And no matter what theolo theological understanding you have for the devil slash Satan, I find myself, whenever faced with something like the, the life-taking illnesses that come for children, it really gives me a different perspective on the, the aspect of, of the diabolical one, where you really do hope that there is an existentially evil being out there responsible for such things so that we can go out and wait for his rear in the parking lot so that when all is said and done, we can give him what is, what is due. We are from the, the country out here down in Tennessee, and um, many of us before our, our Christian lives, we know what it is when someone says you're going to be waiting for him in the parking lot. That usually means there's something for you. Um, we do wish that justice could come for such evil things and illnesses that come and take children. Because the loss of a child is very terrifying, but thanks be to God that we know the truth and we know that God has paved the way for eternal life. Moreover, we can give thanks to God that God is a God of mercy and he has mercy for children. Moving on to the second point, I want us to, to separate out the fact that a child died and then the decisions which were going on with the UK's government. Because I really do think these are two distinct issues. There's always a tragedy when a child dies. But it's a whole different matter when a government is coming in and saying the parents no longer have authority to make decisions. And it's not just that the parents were in a, a place where they had some sort of undue duress in their lives where they're not capable of making decisions. It basically boiled down to the fact that the state sees itself as having original jurisdiction over life and death. This really is something I see as a, a huge problem. The UK government seen itself in this situation as being the original arbiter over life. They, the government, not the parents, get to make the calls of life or death and not the family of the loved one. I understand that terminal illnesses exist, and I really believe that families have the right to make the decision for the one they love. I have known those who have chosen to take their loved one off life support, and I have full respect for that decision, and I can res really respect and support those who want to end the suffering of a loved one. A family wanting to end the suffering of a loved one and wanting to, to have closure is not the same thing as a state, a government, a bureaucracy coming in and saying, we are the ones who arbitrate life and death. So for those of you who have children who have lost children, the decisions that people have made in those circumstances cannot be compared to a circumstance where the government has come in and said, we are forcing this resolution to this situation. It is extraordinarily different. 
And I can't support bureaucrats playing God and taking away the liberty of families and individuals. Diseases and infections that take the life of children are evil. And bureaucrats who think they are better than the families who love their children are also evil. And how can we clearly know that these bureaucrats are evil? There were other nations willing to take the child. Again, to, to let them wash the, the blood from their hands, they said, we'll let the child come to us. We'll pay for him to be on life support. We realize that this degenerate disease is going to, to probably take his life, but we will let him come here if that's what the family wants. But the U.K. government said no. They did not want their authority challenged. They did not want compromise. This is truly a symbol of evil. Evil does not want compromise. It only wants to consume. God knows what it is like to lose a child. And for those of you who have lost a child, I want you to take comfort in knowing that even God knows what it is like to lose a child, even to allow one to pass. But, while I pray for peace and encouragement for those who have lost children, we, as a Christian people, must make a stand and say, God is the source of life. He is the source of salvation. And governments do not have the right to be the arbiters of life and death. We, as a Christian people, we know that we are charged in the kingdom of God to live under a new judgment where God offers eternal life to all, all who would receive his testimony. And God is a God of grace and mercy and has extraordinarily grace and mercy for children. Whenever we lose a child in our community and in our family, God always has grace and mercy for that. And the loss of a child with decisions made by a family are extraordinarily different from when a government comes and says, we are going to play God and we are going to decide. Well, anyways, we're going to end our, our segment there on that. And then we're going to pick back up with a conversation on what it means to be the children of God. Christmans, no, if I can get that out right, we, we've got new microphones and we've been playing with the audio around here and now my, my voice is getting all messed up. As Christians, if I can say that out without messing up the letters, as Christians, we believe in original sin. And this means something more than what we might expect. It really is this idea that people have a disposition which, given the circumstances of our world, we may do things which are bad. It doesn't mean that we all going around doing extraordinarily and explicitly evil things every moment. There are people who are moving away from that. As God's holiness and transformation comes into our lives, we, we find that we can move away from sin. But the question we have for us as a people is this. What does it mean for us to be the children of God? There's a beautiful verse opening up the first Epistle of John, chapter 3, stating this, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Now, there's an interesting distinction made even within this verse. Again, as Christian people, we need to be people capable of making distinctions. One of the distinctions made here is that God has made us children of God, and that is something to be in awe of. And this fact that we are children of God, it emerges out of the love that the Father has given us. Moreover, the world does not know us when it does not know God. As children of God, there are a few things that we really should con contemplate and consider. 
There are three in particular points that I would like to point out really quick. One, as children of God, we know that we live under the jurisdiction of God. There is no separation between children of God in terms of class. Two, as children of God, we live under a universal will and moral code, which is applicable in all of our actions and situations in life, including times when we are alone and times when we are in public. Three, as children of God, we are created in the image of God. Therefore, we are beings of will. Moreover, we are moral beings capable of making moral decisions. Now, now that we've heard these three points, we must realize that our world does not recognize a lot of these elements. They do not see that people have a universal, applicable will and moral code. They do not want to understand that people are beings of will. Again, earlier we talked about Alfie Evans. In that situation, it's almost as if the UK government thinks that it is the arbiter of will and morality. It doesn't see the parents as being beings with personal agency capable of making moral decisions. They think they're the only ones capable of making moral decisions. Another thing that we see from that is that what we do in private and what we do in public should always follow moral code. Again, so many times you see things which are bureaucratic agencies. They want to hide their behaviors. It's hard to find blame in those situations. If you're a, children of, if you're a child of God, you know that no matter where you are, your actions matter. Another thing that happens in our world is they want to separate us out into classes. Here in Western civilization, there's a lot of people really tearing apart our cultures by saying there are classes which are privileged, those which are oppressed. They want to divide people up into subsections and forget that they, people are actually individuals. So, as we look at this, I want us to contrast what it means to be children of God versus people who are not. As children of God, one of the things that we should understand that we, as a people, believe in original sin. And now you might think this is a peculiar thing to bring up. I brought this up at the beginning of this segment, and I'm going to bring it up again now. One of the things that really separates out people who are the children of God versus people who do not recognize the children of God is that people who are Christians, people who are understanding that they live under the jurisdiction of the kingdom of God, we understand that people have this tendency to do bad things in the world. When we ask people in our, our world around us, are people inherently good or are people inherently bad? And for those of you listening, you may hear a few bumps on the microphone. I'm not used to this new microphone, so we're, we're having fun with that. But anyways, the question, are people inherently good or are people inherently bad? It's a serious question. As Christians, if we are taught that we have original sin, this doesn't mean that we go around feeling guilty of some personal guilt. But it's an understanding that as a whole, our species has a tendency to do bad. Wherever our populations are, evil and corruption will manifest in some way or another. We're being torn apart by people who do not believe that, left to their own resources, people will do bad things. Pretty much throughout history, people have kind of understood that human nature is to do some bad things. And as children of God, we realize that we pray to God every day that we could have transformation out of this, that we could move to a better way of living. Here recently, I've been reading a novel by Fyodor Dostoevsky, who is a, a Russian novelist back from the 19th century. In particular, I've been reading his 1866 novel, Crime and Punishment. And if you are looking for a novel to read, if you're someone who likes to read or listen to audiobooks in the car, I really encourage you to read Crime and Punishment because it's something which, while I don't consider the book evil, and I don't think Dostoevsky is a villain, he introduces a lot of concepts which I think 
and I think you can make a strong case for this. These were the ideas which brought a lot of destruction into our world. I don't think Dostoevsky himself wanted to see this destruction happen. But I think he was just a bit skeptical as he looked at the world around him. He recognized that suffering was everywhere. And he kind of just asks a few questions of why is there suffering. But he makes a suggestion that maybe there is not original sin. Maybe people aren't really bad. And maybe there is no distinction between a child of God and being someone who is not. So I want to read a little bit out of Dostoevsky's novel because I've been reading this and the second chapter in this novel is very interesting. And before I read this, I want to give you an overview of what's happening in this novel. It's a novel that follows a, a man who's going through life and he's got a few moral crises he has. And in chapter two, this man, he goes into a tavern and he meets a, a guy who's drunk. And the drunk guy tells out a story of life. He says, you know, I'm, I'm married to a a, a lady, and this is her second marriage. It's my second marriage as well. I had a, a daughter, and she had three children of her own. And we're in this place where we're, we're very poor. So many afflictions have happened to us. My wife, she's the child of nobility. She's had a lot of great things in life, but I've come along and I've squandered it. In fact, the, the drunk man kind of opens up his, his monologue saying, I am a pig. He comes in and says, all this suffering is in my life, and I've done things to cause the suffering. I've taken advantage of my daughter. I've seen my daughter sold into a very undesirable lifestyle. I've even stolen from my own wife, stolen from my, my children, done things where they won't have money to eat off of. And eventually the drunk man, he decides it's time for him to go home. He had a few days earlier stole the money from his wife, and he decides it's time for him to go home. And as he goes back to his house, his wife comes out and she sees him and she says, Oh, there you are, the thief, the criminal. And his wife, she kind of starts to beat him. She has him down on the ground and is dragging him by his hair. And the, the drunk man realizes that he has done a lot of evil things and bad things in his life, which has caused him to be in this place. There's been causes and effects which have brought him here. But he makes a statement at the end of this lengthy chapter. Again, it's a lengthy chapter in the book, which sounds so nihilistic. It's going on to the sufferings in the world. You know, everybody has sufferings, and he, even this man here who's a drunk, he says, I am the cause of all of this suffering. But in the last sentence in the chapter, he challenges this. And I'm going to read this last statement in the chapter for you. And what if I am wrong, he cried, suddenly after a moment's thought. What if man is not really a scoundrel? Man in general, I mean, the whole race of mankind. Then all the rest is prejudice, simply artificial terrors, and there are no barriers, and that's all as it should be. What we find in this Dostoevsky novel is a man who is recognizing that there is suffering in the world and that he has very well much caused a lot of it. There's suffering for other characters in this chapter, his wife who hasn't really caused a lot of it. Her first husband died in the bit of a tragedy, and his own daughter who has done things to... Well, they were dishonorable things, but she did it out of love, trying to get money for the family. And you see all of this suffering here. Some of it's caused by people's personal decisions. Some of it's not. And the, the drunk man recognizes that his own moral agency has caused the suffering. But in a moment's thought towards the end, he says, what if I am wrong? What if being a scoundrel isn't really being a scoundrel? What if it's all just prejudice? 
What if the reason why people suffer in reality isn't because of a cause and effect relationship between bad decisions or unfortunate circumstance, but what if the reason why we suffer is because something is oppressing us? Something out there has prejudice against us. Then there is nothing. They're just all artificial ter terrors. There are no barriers in reality, no distinctions to be made. Dostoevsky was writing this in the middle of the 1800s. Of course, we all who know history know what happened in Russia shortly thereafter that. Communism comes in, socialism comes in, and millions, tens of millions, close to 100 million people are killed by internal suppression and internal violence within Russia by the government. Socialism and communism, a lot of times people think, oh, it's this idea of sharing and they, they even try to connect this to the New Testament. The New Testament is not about involuntarily forcing people through compulsion to separate causes and effects in this world. That is not what the New Testament is about. And that's really what communism was about. It wanted to separate causes and effects. It wanted to, to force people through involuntary compulsion to, to share resources that wasn't really sharing. Again, charity by compulsion is not actually charity. But it all came out of these thinkers from the, the 19th century, and I really think Dostoevsky was very instrumental in all of this, even though I don't think he was intentional about it. But he proposed this idea, what if I'm wrong? What if we are wrong that there is original sin? What if we are wrong that people actually are bad? What if being a scoundrel isn't the reason why my, my life is terrible? What if the reason why my daughter has to make these terrible decisions, what if the reason why my wife lives in these lives in terrible conditions isn't because of of tragic and unfortunate circumstances, which again, as you read the, the book, some of them are tragedies, some of them are personal choices. What if the suffering that is inherent in life is out there because of someone else's prejudice? And this is an idea we still have going on today. People like to separate classes apart, say, oh, there is victimized groups and there are oppressed groups, and there are those who are doing the oppressing, those who are doing the victimizing, and they look at this and it's a very terrible thing. It's a very evil thing when people think this way. But as we look at Dostoevsky, we see this idea being introduced that people do not have inherent sin and that people aren't really children of God because there are no distinctions. There are no barriers. There are no children of God and those who are, as we find in the, the gospel, or excuse me, the epistle of John, the children of the devil. They're just all the same. Well, anyways, we're going to wrap up our conversation with a little bit of a dialogue, and I was just going to throw this over to Anthony to see what his thoughts were on the question, what does it mean to be a child of God and to be people who are transformed out of the human nature to do, to do bad things? What are your well, thoughts, Anthony? Um, I, had wish, I wish that you had asked me before you elaborated on it because now, you know, of course, my explanation won't be near as good. But um, I feel like, you know, to be a child of God and really to be a child of anybody's, is to be under their protection, care, and, you know, also their teaching. But um, another thing to look at as being a child of God is that, you know, we should be like him. We should be godly. And I think, you know, that's kind of, some people might think that that's dangerous language. Oh, no, you shouldn't try to be like God, per se. You know what I mean? But, um, you know, God is righteous, and so I think that we should try to be righteous for that. And I think that part of it is almost um, inherent, especially with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that um, if we truly are his children, then we should be indeed righteous like he is. And um, we should strive to be like him in every way that we really could, if you ask me. But um, 
Well, I think we that, are we are people capable of making distinctions, and one of the distinctions that we should make is saying that I want to to be Christ-like, being wanting wanting to be godly in your life does not equate with the idea of saying, well, I want to be God. Wanting yeah. to be Christ-like and wanting to say, I am the Messiah are different things. They certainly are different things. And we, we need to make those distinctions there because there are a lot of people who say, well, oh, well, we can't be God-like. We can't be Christ-like. And those are totally different concepts. Yeah, saying I've, that I want to emulate Christ's behavior in my life, I want to be transformed into the holiness of God, is a different thing of saying I want to, to kick God out of the picture and let myself be God. The um, one thing I've heard several times, which I find so interesting, is that, you know, whenever I'm trying to make a moral decision and sometimes it might be involving self-sacrifice. So some people will always say, you know, like, you're not Jesus. You're not Christ. You don't have to do that if you don't want to, even though it's a moral thing. You know, it's a moral um, dilemma, whatever it may be. And I might have to make a sacrifice for it. Um, A lot of times bystanders who uh, are not particularly Christian or who aren't. Um, strong in their faith yet will say something along those lines and that always blows my mind because you know that's not even like from the side of carrying christ's authority into a situation or perhaps bringing the judgment of consideration that's just making a moral decision and people will feel that way you know you're not jesus so you don't have to do that Well, people are always looking for a reason to to mitigate their own responsibility again even dostoevsky I don't think Dostoevsky is actually a villain, though I think a lot of his philosophy, even though he's more of a novelist than a philosopher, but he's very much a philosopher, I think a lot of his thoughts and the, the logic he uses, it's not explicitly evil itself, but it, again, without discipline, people will take something to its pathological and destructive conclusion. I think people took Dostoevsky's work to imply a lot of evil things. And I think one of the things that comes out of this, well, hey, I'm not Christ. I'm not God. It doesn't matter whether I'm a scoundrel or a righteous person. It's all the same. There's no barriers. They're just artificial terrors in the world. It's just prejudice that's put me here. Therefore, I live like I want to live, and then I, I screech that that I'm not Christ. I'm not not whatever, and people remove all moral responsibility. As children of God, we do have moral responsibility. We must never forget that. Well, we're going to wrap up our program today. Thank you for joining us. If you really liked our content, please share it. If you loved our content and would like to support us monetarily, you can donate through Patreon at patreon.com slash kingdomofthelogos. Of course, we do have our free podcast down for down or up for downloading on iTunes podcast or pod. What is it? Castbox. iTunes, Castbox, and wherever you get podcasts, the RSS feed comes out of SoundCloud to a lot of different places. So we're on SoundCloud as well. And again, that's free to download. You can take us with you. And again, as always, remember that you are a child of God. And on that note, have a blessed day.